please turn in your Bibles this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. By now, your Bible ought to fall right open to 1 Corinthians 15. We've had some good times together in this long chapter compared to other chapters of the book. But as you get your Bible open and your notepad situated just right on your other knee, I want to just express my appreciation for your kindness in inviting me to be part of the conference. And also, it's been a great blessing to be with Mark and Lisa Anderson and enjoy the fellowship we've had together. I'm looking for you. Where are you at? Raise your hand. Oh, oh there you are. Okay. So anyway, I just thank the Lord for Mark's ministry and the time that Mark and Lisa and I have been able to just visit. You know, these visits in between meetings, that's really where the joy of a conference is as we started out, and I thank the Lord for those times. Thank you for your encouragement in the things of the Lord. It's been, it's been a great help, a real umph as we uh, head back home. I leave early in the morning out of the Montreal airport. That's why I will leave right after this meeting, after our little fellowship break, and we'll enjoy a few greetings goodbye. And I covet your prayers as we head back home, as I head back home and pick up the work that the Lord's given us to do. I trust that the Lord will bless you greatly in the days to come. And I can hardly wait till the Lord calls us and we head up together. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. The coming of the Lord, the power of the resurrection. Please look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll begin reading in verse 50 and we'll go through verse 58 and then just another verse in the book of Philippians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 50 says, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Verse 53, for this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 58 concludes this portion. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Hold your place here. We'll be right back. But go to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And notice with me, please, verses 10 and 11. But I'm going to start up in verse 8. You know, the Apostle Paul had a trouble with long sentences, didn't he? 
and we enjoy every word. I understand that the average length of a sentence in New Testament times was 27 words per sentence. Some of Paul's are longer than that. Average length now is five to seven. We're not getting smarter, are we? Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, Paul says, Yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And here are the two verses I want to major on. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Shall we ask the Lord once again to bless these things to our hearts and add every best blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Our Father, we want to thank and praise you for your wonderful word and for our glorious Savior who has left us with the promise, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Father, we pray that you would fill our hearts with anticipation and thrill our hearts with the prospect of the blessed hope, even the appearing of our great God and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. We commend ourselves to you for your blessing in every way. In his precious name, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. amen. We start out in this portion of scripture in verse 50, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, and we are looking at two groups of people that are set before us in verse 50. As he says, now this I say to you, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so flesh and blood gives us our first group, those who are alive. And you'll notice also the second group, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. The second group are those who are asleep. And I, I love that expression, don't you? We understand that it means death, but the Lord Jesus introduced it to us wonderfully as he went to the home of Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum, whose little daughter had died. And he said, the little girl is not dead, she's asleep. And they laughed him to scorn. And he went into the room and he took her by the hand and he lifted her out of death and right back into life. Can you think of any better way to express it for a believer? We close our eyes in death and we open them in glory, just asleep. And so the Lord Jesus, he showed us the difference. And the Apostle Paul carefully points out in these two groups, those groups are those who are alive and those who are asleep when the Lord comes. And as we look at these two groups, keep in mind that we're talking of the bodily resurrection, not only of the Lord Jesus Christ, which today we commemorate on our calendar year, but also as he was raised, 
we too shall be raised. And what kind of body do they come? We looked at that last night a little bit. You think of the things that the Lord Jesus did on that resurrection day. He entered the room, the doors being shut, and stood in their midst, and they were amazed. And he spoke words that still speak to our hearts. Peace be unto you. Two, walking on the road to Emmaus, going back home, he drew near and appeared to them, seemingly right out of nowhere. How? Well, he had a glorified body. He could walk through the walls. He could all of a sudden appear. And he went all the way. A seven-mile trip seemed like nothing as he expounded them in all the scriptures, all things concerning himself. And then when they got to their home, they pressed him, please come in and stay with us. And he went in, and as a guest, he became the host. And he sat at the table with them, and he gave thanks, took bread. And when he broke the bread, their eyes were opened, and he vanished from their sight. What will it be like to have a glorified body like unto his glorified body? We just look at him and we marvel at the things that he did in his glorified state. And in anticipation, I'm looking forward to walking through the walls as well and running and not being weary, and walking and not fainting, but knowing his strength that will give us a body, a glorified body, custom made for us, that will go on for all eternity. Now that's something, isn't it? Now don't get excited, but I'm starting to see a Shekinah glow on many of you. Maybe the others can jump on board and have that same response. Sorry for the bright light. The word giveth light, right? So as we look in this little portion of scripture and we follow these two groups carefully, Paul introduces us to, first of all, the mystery in verses 50 and 51. I have a good technician in the back. He's on the job. Verse 51, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. A mystery is not a whodunit. A mystery is a truth that's being revealed for the first time. Our New Testament is filled with these mysteries, these revelations that God has given into the New Testament times to us upon whom the end of the ages has come. And now it's time to open up in Revelation all that God has planned for us at least to the point to where we can just consider and anticipate what God is about to do. T. Ernest Wilson wrote an excellent book on the 14 New Testament mysteries. I won't tell you all 14 of them, but I will mention some of them just so you say, oh, it's quite a company to be part of in this mystery that Paul reveals to us. You have the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, those mysteries of the kingdom expounded in Matthew chapter 13. Don't you love it as the Lord Jesus gave these parables? And then he said to his disciples, it's been granted to you to understand the mysteries. And they said, yes, Lord, would you explain it to us inside? <laughs> oh, we have a lot to do to understand some of these things. The mystery of the blindness of Israel that has happened just for a time while the church is brought in and the mystery of the Jew and Gentile in one body. 
That is the mystery that the Lord Jesus gave to the Apostle Paul as he expounded in Ephesians chapter 3. And he said, by understanding this, you'll have understanding in more of what I have to say. My favorite mystery goes all the way back to creation and God's plan for marriage with Adam, who left father and mother. Wait a minute. He didn't leave father and mother. He was joined to his wife, yes. And Paul says, it's a mystery. But it's not about Adam and Eve. It's about Christ and the church who left his father's home on high and came and purchased us to be his bride. What a great mystery. And you have the mystery that is at work right now in the sons of disobedience and will one day be revealed as the mystery of iniquity. And God will put all this down. But this particular mystery that Paul mentions in verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery, it is not a mystery of the resurrection of the dead, but rather the mystery is in the changing of bodies of believers who are living when he comes again. Now that is a mystery. And as we anticipate it, what is the Lord going to do? Well, he makes it clear, we shall not all sleep. In other words, there'll be some living believers when he comes again. You think you'll be in that group? Do you hope so? Well, I kind of hope so. I would love to cheat death, wouldn't you? And take one step here on earth and the next step right up into glory. What will we be doing on that very moment when he comes again? You might be just ending a visit with someone. You may be witnessing to someone. Wouldn't you like to win the last person to the Lord? And immediately we're out, huh? And you go up together. What will it be? Well, he tells us we're not all going to sleep. But we shall all be changed. And that is the mystery. Those who are asleep, their bodies will be changed. Those who are alive, our bodies will be changed. It's okay if I speak as if it's going to be us, don't you think? The Apostle Paul did. <laughs> in fact, there's a parallel verse or portion that goes right hand in hand with this. If you don't mind, I'd like to just go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 for a moment. You know, we are living in the days that Peter warned us about, that scoffers will come in the last days, asking, where is the promise of his coming? If you were asked by a scoffer, where is the promise of his coming, could you tell them where the promise is? John 14, I will come again. There's the promise. Expounded for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Explained for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. Reminded to us in the last chapter of our Bible, behold, I come quickly. We're referring to the blessed hope. Tim, uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 13. The rapture or the appearing, the catching away of the bride of Christ, the church. We were just finishing up our meeting down in Believer's Bible Chapel in Charlotte, where I'm at. I haven't forgotten to go to 1 Thessalonians. We'll be right back. But we're seeing so much doubt cast on the rapture. I heard one man preach, and he 
read through a portion in Matthew 24, and he said, I don't see the word rapture here anywhere. Wanted to tell him he was in the wrong part of the Bible for the rapture. <laughs> the mysteries come later. I did tell him that afterwards. He wasn't too convinced. We were just finishing up our meeting in Believer's Bible Chapel, and you know how our meetings are. We have the seat meeting like right now. After we close in prayer, you're going to stand up. You have the feet meeting. And then you go downstairs to that loud room and you have the eat meeting. And on a beautiful day like today, some of you will go out and have the street meeting. Four meetings in one. You can't beat a deal like that, can you? Well, we were at the street meeting stage, you understand. We had already kind of cleared out, and a car pulled into the parking lot, kept the car running, and said, I have a question about your church. They came and got me. <laughs> I think they were afraid. I leaned over carefully toward the car. The man driving rolled down his window, and he said, we have some questions about what you teach. And I said, oh, I said, well, here's what we teach. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I started with the gospel. I mean, you don't know how long you have to talk. Let's start where it counts. And I said, and that's why God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for the sins, our sins and the sins. And about that time, they waved me off. And he said, I'm not asking about that. I want to know what you teach about the rapture. I said, I can hardly wait. And I said, it's the next event in God's calendar. We are waiting with anticipation, tiptoe expectancy, that he who is coming will indeed come and will not tarry at any moment. We don't know when. We just know that he's coming again. And his wife spoke up and she said, I used to believe that too, but then I studied it more deeply. I said, well, go back and read it again. And I gave her these portions right here. And I said, and this time, don't go so deep. God says what he means. He means what he says. And you don't have to try to figure out between the lines what he means by it. Just take him at his word. I don't know a clearer portion than this portion we're on tonight. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. You know it almost by heart, but I'd like to read it for us. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, this is what it says. But I do not want you to be ignorant or unaware, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Same group that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now he does not say, lest you sorrow, but our sorrow is a different kind of sorrow. The world is a hopeless sorrow, isn't it? Some of us have preached funerals of unbelievers with families that have no hope. What do they do? But others of us, we've been able to have the privilege of being together with family members who know the Lord, whose loved one has gone to be with Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And what great hope. Our sorrow is not hopeless, it's hope-filled. And then he says in verse 14, here's the condition, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that's the condition. Do you believe it? The Lord Jesus speaking to Martha, 
He explained, whoever believes, though he may die, yet shall he live. And then he asked, do you believe this? Here's the same thing. Do you believe this? Have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, was buried and raised again? And here's the condition. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. What a reunion it's going to be. Yes, he's coming, but he's bringing our loved ones who are asleep in Jesus, who have died and gone before us. And that meeting is going to take place, as verse 15 explains. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain. Did you catch that? Not only do I want to live my life in light of his coming, as if I'll be one of those in the group of the living when he comes again in the rapture to appear and to call us out of this world. I believe the Apostle Paul believed that too. He doesn't say, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord that those who are alive, he says that we who are alive, talking to a friend one day after preaching on this at our local assembly, and he said, you know, my grandfather and my father, they all thought that too. I said, it's all the more reason to believe it and to anticipate it. As he goes on to say in verse 15, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. We're not leaving them behind. And in verse 16, he says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. There's the word rapture. To be caught up or caught away together with them in the clouds. And I understand there's no definite article there in clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It is a comfort for believers, isn't it? And what a great comfort it is. Do you know the early saints in the New Testament times? We even have it recorded in Corinthians. They would greet each other with a one-word statement that caused them all to look forward to his coming again. Maranatha, the Lord is coming. I think we ought to replace our greetings with that, don't you? It doesn't have to be Maranatha in the Greek. It can just be the Lord is coming. Remind one another, comfort one another with these words. Sometimes when you talk about the rapture, people look at you like you said, rupture. <laughs> and they get this horrified look on their face. I had a man do some work on my roof the other day. I said, I hope the Lord comes before you have to do it again. He said, no, don't say that. I said, no, I mean it. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You are? Those who know, those who know him, we are anticipating his coming. But whether I'm awake, like alive, or whether I'm asleep, like I go ahead to be with the Lord, doesn't matter one bit to me. It used to matter more. I could care less. <laughs> and I'll tell you how I got the insight on it. I mentioned John Bramhall to you the other day. 
when he used to preach about the Lord's coming, his face would kind of glow like yours are glowing, some of you. And you almost went to look over your shoulder to see if the Lord was coming through the door. He was so in anticipation. He lived 101 years, trusted the Lord at the age of 16. That's 85 years walking with the Lord, waiting for his coming. He was born in 1899, went to be with the Lord in 2001. That's, that's three centuries. Not many people can claim that. Not only that, but two millennia he was part of. <laughs> and the way he would preach on the Lord's coming, oh, we all hoped that it would be in his lifetime. In a little group of men, somebody asked him one time, Brother Bramhall, would you rather go by the rapture or by death? I thought, that's a crazy question. Who would want to go by death? And he surprised us all. He said, I'd rather go by death than by the rapture. We said, whatever for? He said, if I go by death, I'll know the experience that the psalmist records, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. His presence will be with me. He said, I would miss that if I go by the rapture. And then with his quick wit, he said, and if I go by death, I will not miss the rapture. In fact, I go first. The dead in Christ will be raised first. And if I were preaching a graveside cemetery at that moment, wouldn't that be something? To hear a commotion and a call and to see the graves open and those who know the Lord coming up to ground level and then all of us going up together. <laughs> what a day that will be. We have so much to look forward to. The blessed hope. We mentioned last night, he has enough power to make it happen. In fact, I won't turn to it, but you can turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 15. And as you do, I'll read the verse I misquoted last night. <clears throat> I wonder if they can edit this stuff. Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, the kind that goes through walls and appears according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. How long will such a great work take? Well, we come to our next major word. In verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. In verse 52, in a moment. In a moment. You know, sometimes when we talk about creation, how in six days God created the world and everything that was in it, or is in it, some people take issue with that. One man said, oh, I don't believe it was billions and millions and billions of years, but it's kind of hard to believe he could do it in six days. I said, you know, I was just thinking, I wonder why it took him so long. <laughs> he spoke it into being. And when it comes time to change those who are asleep in Jesus and those of us who are alive when he comes, how long is it going to take? 
a moment, like an atom is what the word is, that small, not a winking of the eye, not a blinking of the eye, but a twinkling of an eye. As light passes through the eye at 186,000 miles per second, now that is quite a little moment. And that's all it's going to take him. Don't be surprised at this. We're talking of the eternal God. Out of eternity, our Savior stepped into the island of time and space. Restricted and restrained by time for a period of time. And the place that he came to in his resurrection glory, he's back in eternity waiting for you and for me. Oh, it seems like a long time when you have a birthday or something. You know, we count up our years, don't we? But the Lord's counting them down. Here's the way to count your years. Make them count that we may gain a heart of wisdom to present to him. Because one day he, he who is coming will indeed come. And you say, yeah, that's what bothers me because a day is but a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years a day. You think we got a thousand years to wait? I can't think that at all. A dear friend was consoling his brother and his sister as their father, their dad, went to be with the Lord. The mother of the family had gone to be with the Lord about 20 years before that. And now the father passed away. He said, you know, <clears throat> based on what Peter said, if a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day, he said, mom went to be with the Lord about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> and now dad is there with her. And he said, we're all sad and they're glad. And I'll tell you the reason why. Based on a day as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day, they're glad because they know we're all going to be home within the hour. Hmm? That gives us the right perspective. If he doesn't come in my little lifetime, does that mean he's not coming? Oh, you, you don't exist, exhaust the patience of an eternal God with one little lifetime. The church made up of all believers who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. How old are we now? About 2,000 years. Nancy said, you know, since I was a little girl, they've been saying about 2,000 years. When's it going to be more? <laughs> but this matter of time, don't get caught off guard. Don't grow weary in waiting. But be anticipating. When it happens, it's just going to be a moment. And we'll think, I wonder why I was so impatient. God, he's never in a hurry. He's never late. At the right time, he will come. And at that moment, there's going to be a great movement. Notice, please, again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, he says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. At the last trumpet, oh, we've got a signal for the movement. And this movement is going to be signified 
First Thessalonians 4 says, by a shout, by the voice of an archangel, and by the trumpet of God. And John Phillips, in his excellent commentary, he uses those three signals for three different aspects of what's going to happen as God's timetable unfolds for us. He said, there's going to be the shout. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And that shout is to call the church out of this world. My friend down south says he won't have to call me twice. <laughs> well, hear his call. We're not looking for a sign. We're listening for a shout. And when we hear the shout, the church is out. After the shout comes the voice of an archangel because Michael is going to declare war on all the emissaries of Satan and all of his power players, and there'll be war fought in heaven. And the archangels are going to carry it out and win the battle completely. And then the trumpet of God, the signal for calling God's earthly people, Israel, back together center stage. He hasn't forgotten them. He hasn't forsaken them. He hasn't counted them out. Just for a period of time, he brought them in through the church. But then he's going to pick up right where he left off when they rejected the Savior, and they'll look on him, and they'll mourn as one for an only son. And we'll see the gospel going forth not through 12 disciples and apostles, 12,000. And they'll be like global evangelists and sweep the world with the everlasting gospel. There's the signals that we're waiting for. And the signal here is the trumpet. And when the trumpet sounds, what's going to happen? These same two groups, now keep them in mind, those who are alive and those who are asleep. And look, if you will, in verse 53. This movement is made up of these two groups. And verse 53, he starts with the group that is the corruptible. Those are the ones who are asleep in Jesus. They must put on incorruption because corruption cannot inherit the kingdom. And then the other group, this mortal, and again, Paul speaking in the present and personally, this mortal body, speaking of those who are alive, we must put on immortality. And then both groups are ready. And this movement is going to take us, as he explains in verse 54, so when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And what a victory song it is. This song that begins here, quoted from the book of Hosea, chapter 13, is a song of the victory song, and it's sung just like in Nehemiah's day. You remember when he put the choirs up on the wall? Half of the choir went this way on the wall, the other half went the other way on the wall, and they met right in the middle. Here we have two choirs, the sleeping choir and the alive choir. And these two choirs are going to sing and responsively sing. And here's what they're going to say. The first choir, Oh, death, where is your sting? That's the ones that are alive. 
And then the ones who are asleep, they're going to sing to the grave, Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The strength of sin, it explains to us, is the law. The sting of death is sin. The strength of the law of sin is the law. And the Lord has dealt with both of these. And I want to tell you, the law, it's been robbed of its power because he fulfilled it on our behalf. Sin has been robbed of its strength. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. I hear the accuser roar of ills that I have done. I know them all and thousands more. Jehovah findeth none. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. And death, it has been robbed of its victory. How? Through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as he was raised, we too will be raised. Before we get to the very next section, I'd like to just take a moment to carry you with me over to a mount called Olives. Would you turn, please, to Matthew chapter 24 for just a moment? Matthew chapter 24. It's called the Olivet Discourse. It's on the Mount of Olives, you understand. I've stood on the Mount of Olives, and I'm sure many of you have as well. Standing on the Mount of Olives, looking over at the Temple Mount, we were explained, it was explained to us by our guide, faithful as he was, that there was a geological fault line that ran right through the Mount of Olives. Doesn't surprise us a bit. Just as the angel told the disciples, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who has gone up from you will so come in like manner. And Zechariah says his feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives. And to be standing there on the Mount of Olives. I really like that place. Tell you the truth, I love it. It's going to be a slow night, I can tell. I love it. Have we got it yet? It's the Olivet Discourse. And I got to tell you, I love it. How much of it do I love? All of it. So when you look at the Mount of Olives and you realize that's the place where the Lord is going to come and is coming, it's from the Mount of Olives where he's going to actually make his return to earth to set up his kingdom because that geological fault line runs from the Mount of Olives right through the Kidron Valley, right up through the Eastern Gate that the emperor of the Ottoman Empire blocked up. Suleiman said, I hear Messiah's coming through here. I'll block up the gate so he can't get through. <laughs> You're not going to keep him out. That gate's going to open wide open. You know, it's a double gate the golden arches. When you see McDonald's, don't go to Tim Horton. Just remember, every time you see a McDonald's, the golden arches, the Lord's coming back again. His, his reminders are everywhere. And when you look at what he explained to his disciples, right there at Olivet, on the Mount of Olives, in Matthew chapter 24, 
He gave five signs, six, I'm sorry, seven signs, really six signs in this, seventh sign in Luke, seven signs to look for. I'll just remind you what they are. There'll be many false Christ, verse 5 tells us in Matthew chapter 24. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. The second sign he gives in verse 6, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Verse 7, there'll be famines. Verse 7 again, there'll be pestilences. Verse 7, one more time, there'll be earthquakes in various places. And just as a woman anticipating giving birth, the intensity and the frequency is on the increase of these things. Till finally in verse 9, persecution. And then in Luke 21, 25, there'll be signs in the heavens, cosmic disturbances. The sea is affected by it. These are not the only signs of his coming. Timothy receives word from the Apostle Paul to know that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of their own selves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. It's all part of the ungeneration. Slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. Do I need to go on any further? And Peter writes, knowing this first, scoffers come in the last days. And I think these are signs of his coming when he comes again to rule this world in righteousness. Rob Lindstedt helped me out years ago when we shared a conference. It was two of us speaking. He went for an hour and a half and I got 10 minutes left. That's okay, I enjoyed every word he said, but here's what he told me. All these signs of the Lord's return to earth are not for the believers making up the church, but we do get to peek ahead and see what they are. And these great events, as someone has written years ago, great events cast their shadows before them. And while we may not see the signs, we see the shadows of the signs. I mean, you read through that list and you say, I would think he'd be here by now. So Rob Lindstead asked the question, in your local town, what does it mean when you see the Christmas decorations go up? His answer was, when you see the Christmas lights going up, it means that Thanksgiving is very near. <laughs> you get the drift, don't you? If we're seeing some of the shadows of these signs, I mean like pestilences, a sister in our meeting said, yeah, pestilences, I know it's in the list, she said, but we never thought we'd be doing it to ourselves. <laughs> Doesn't matter where it comes from. Famines, many of them are man-made, man's inhumanity to man. It's awful. And the wars and the rumors of wars. The Lord leaves us to our own devices in this world to show us, and he has already told us all things that will surely come to pass. And when it starts to come, he says it's going to come, and it's going to come quickly with rapidity. And if we see these things, either on the horizon, 
are even close to being upon us. We know we won't go through the tribulation, but it just means to us. <laughs> the rapture, the appearing of our Savior, is all the more close. Closer than it's ever been before. I know that's not profound. If he doesn't come today, open your blinds tomorrow and say, perhaps today. This may be the day that the Lord Jesus comes. And with that in mind, I'd like you to go back now to finish up with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You get the idea that I enjoy talking about the Lord's coming? <laughs> I know you do too, because many of us have already talked about these very things. You might say, well, he sure is repeating a lot of the things he's already told me. I'm going to repeating it, be repeating it till he comes again. We need the reminder, don't we? So he says, like Warren Wearsby mentioned, heaven is not just a destination, it's a motivation. I'd like to say the same thing about the Lord's coming. It's a motivation to live in light of his coming. And so here's how we close out this chapter. By the Spirit of God, the Apostle Paul writes, after all of the things he's mentioned in verses 57 and 58, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's our application word. Therefore, my beloved brethren, he ends this chapter the same way he starts it and repeats it through the chapter. And he gives us a few things to do. Be steadfast. That's positively, absolutely convinced, persuaded. No doubt about it. Be steadfast. Be, I like this, immovable or unmovable. Someone said trying to change the mind of a believer should be like trying to bend a stump. <laughs> it can't be done. Stand and stand for him. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you, you dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. Each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. It's time that we stand steadfast unmovable. And so we see our position. And then the progress, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Keep on serving him. He's coming. The opportunity to do anything else for him will be over at that very moment. Don't wait till he comes. It'll be over. Serve him now. Abound in the work of the Lord. And here's his promise, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. As we open, I read Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him. Paul wrote that. What do you mean, Paul, that I may know him? I thought you already knew him. I want to know him better. And the power of his resurrection. Did Paul have a death wish? Like I can hardly wait to die? That's not what he was talking about. I want to know the power of his resurrection right here and right now in my life today. Is that what you want to know? <laughs> I believe it is with all my heart. As we close in prayer, would you in your own heart say, Lord, you've reminded me 
of a lot of things that I just want to thank you for the reminder through his word. And then in a fresh way, ask the Lord to help us all to live in light of his coming. Three times in the last chapter of the Bible, he says, behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. And on that last time, John set down his pen and said, Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Shall we close in prayer? Lord, we can hardly wait for you to come. We pray it would even be today, on this Resurrection Sunday, even in the last hours of this day as we close it out, if we end up into the next day of Monday morning, it's all the more reason to expect your coming again. And until that time, Lord, we pray that we would be increasing in our anticipation and expectation that is sure and steadfast that he who is coming will indeed come and will not tarry. And we thank you, Father, for this wonderful promise that you will, at a certain point in time, tell your son to go and to get his bride. And we'll go to meet him together in clouds or crowds of believers and meet him in the air. And thus shall we ever be with our Lord. We thank you, Father, for this blessed hope and for this glad word. And we pray we be an encouragement to one another, for we pray in the name of our coming, soon coming, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.